we're going one-on-one with MLL All-Pro Jeremy Sieverts. Jeremy grew up just outside of Baltimore and will tell us what it was like playing soccer and lacrosse at MIAA Powerhouse McDonough. Jeremy had a really different recruiting process than most lacrosse players. He ended up committing to Butler University in the fall of his senior year, and then he played at Butler for a year before the program was shut down and he transferred to Maryland to finish out the rest of his career. At 28 years old, Jeremy's a guy that's peaking in his lacrosse career. He's playing his highest level that he's ever played today. He was going to talk to us about what it took to get to that level and how he sustains that MLL All-Pro level today. Jeremy Sievers, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Sure, Ryan. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to it. It'll be fun. I have had the joy of, of covering you, just being a long stick midfielder in the MLL, and you being obviously one of the top midfielders in the game. So I've uh, appreciate you know the probably thirty or so goals you've scored on me over the years. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure you've had a couple stops in there too. So uh, some good battles for sure. How'd you get into this whole thing? How'd you start playing lacrosse? You know, what, what's your background? I, uh, I started playing lacrosse as a youngster. I was probably four or five years old. My dad played a little bit in high school and college. So I started playing for Towson Town Rec Council in, in Baltimore. And, and we started playing soft stick lacrosse, you know, running around on tennis courts as a four or five year old. And then six and seven kind of started to put the pads on um, and then moved over when I when I went to McDonough in second grade. They had kind of a McDonough rec program and pretty much played with a lot of my classmates at McDonough um, from really second grade on. And, uh, you know, I played soccer and lacrosse growing up and, and uh, just always, you know, I think because I, I found some success in it early and, I, you know, because of that, I just like the sport. Um, but that's that's really how I got involved. My dad just kind of, he signed me up for lacrosse. He wasn't going to have me play baseball. And, and uh, so that, that's kind of how I got started when I was a young guy. So when your dad your dad played, was he one of the guys that coached him? It's been a common theme. Like Marcus Holman's dad coached him growing up. Scott Ratliff in Atlanta, you know, his dad was one of the only guys in the area that knew lacrosse. So he was involved. Was your dad involved, you know, teaching you how to play, or did he just sign you up and kind of push you into it? He did a little bit uh, at some points. I, I can re- remember being kind of a middle schooler when we we would play in, in the indoor leagues over the winter. He would coach those teams and maybe even into high school a little bit. But it was always pretty, like – he was pretty reserved in, in his coaching. He kind of just let us play, and he would uh, he made sure like our, our, our clear was organized. That's that's probably the extent of his his coaching. I can remember that was like he would hammer that home. Well, it was the clear and indoor lacrosse was 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 set to go. But um, yeah, so so he helped out a little bit, and I mean, um, you know, coaching all the way. I, probably my most uh, fond memories of my dad, I guess, being involved in my lacrosse career was. When I would be out in the backyard when I was younger, he would come out after I'd been, you know, shooting for a little while, and, and we'd say, "All right, we got to get 20 before we can go inside." And we'd play catch, and we have to get 20 passes completed before we go inside, and then we'd get to 18 or 19, and we drop on and we start back over, and you know, mom would have to wait inside for dinner and and things like that. But uh, yeah, my my dad was certainly. Uh, vital in, in getting me started in lacrosse uh, early in my career. So many of, of the guys that listen to our podcast are dads that, that coach lacrosse or have kids that play lacrosse or kids that play and, and their dad is very involved. Was your dad, did he kind of push you into it? We call it the push and the pull. Did he kind of push you into the sport or, or were you kind of always just wanting to play and he was there when, when you needed him? Yeah, I think it was probably probably the latter. I mean, I, I uh, never felt like I was really forced to do anything when I was younger. I, I was an active kid. I loved playing soccer and lacrosse. And, and in middle school, I can remember we'd practice 
and then after school and then I'd ride the bus home and I'd run in and then go out and play street hockey until dinner time and um, or, or just be outside doing anything really um, and, and I was always pretty competitive I remember I mean I, I was I probably had a, a you know if you ask my dad and mom they'd probably tell me I had a, a temper when I was younger and and I just like was really competitive and kind of didn't know how to kind of handle all that but but I just love competing and love playing lacrosse so it was never like my, my parents were dragging me to the field I mean I always you know wanted to play and, and um, so so I definitely would you know think it was something they encouraged me in and were very supportive but again it was something that I kind of thought out I wasn't really um, forced by any means ever to you know sign up for lacrosse or to go to practice or go to camps in the summer or whatever it may be I always really wanted to do those things so you, you get to McDonough in second grade and you're playing with all your buddies what was that I mean were you guys playing on Long Island it's the PAL rec league and every every town on Long Island you, you play in that rec league and we've heard Tommy Schreiber and Will Manny talk about that and when you're at McDonough and you're playing with all your teammates at McDonough are you playing even in second grade are you playing Gilman are you playing boys Latin or are you just kind of that group of kids just playing in a, a larger rec league yeah, we were playing as a, as a rec team. So so we were the majority. It was kind of like a McDonough, Owens Mills area rec team. And, and the majority of the team was McDonough uh, students. And, and we had a handful of kids from the Owens Mills area. But we were playing against, you know, anyone that's from, from Maryland would know, you know, the Towson Towns, the Kelly Post, the Cockeysville, um, teams like that. It wasn't, it wasn't the other schools quite yet. Once we got to, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, that's when we'd start, you know, playing for – the middle schools against one another. Um, then you'd play the Gilmans, St. Paul's, Boys Latin, Coward Hall, everything like that. It's not Coward Hall, it's just high school, but um, all those other schools. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, a rec team. And, and I think we the first couple of years we went by McDonough Rec, but then they didn't want to kind of exclude other kids from Owings Mills area and things like that. So we called it Owings Mills Rec. But, it, you know, we wore orange and black and, and played our games at McDonough. So um, we were, you know, by all means a McDonough team. But, yeah, it, it was a rec, a rec style um, that we played. So was it you were still practicing just like every record like two days a week games on saturdays and then when you got to middle school into seventh grade that's when it started to become a five day a week type deal a six day a week type deal yeah exactly i think we did in the spring we would stay after school on like monday and thursday um you know, because we were in the lower school at McDonough, we would stay after Monday and Thursday and practice and then mostly play yeah, Saturday games. Every once in a while, we might have a Wednesday game. Um, but, I, I, you know, that was a lot of fun for us. We kind of felt like middle schoolers and high schoolers, I think. Like, you know, we got to hang out with each other after school for a little bit until kind of the dads could show up after work to come coach us at, you know, whatever, 5 o'clock. And, uh, you know, that, that those are some fun memories, um, just kind of being able to hang out with my buddies after school and have a snack before before we had practice but yeah it was just a couple days a week and then a game on the weekend it wasn't um it wasn't any every day by any means so a lot of the guys we talked to in baltimore and long island the guys that grow up in those hotbeds you you end up playing when you're in the youth levels or middle school or high school first some of the legends of the game i know jake reed was the mcdonough guy who, who were some of those guys when you were growing up that you were learning from yeah coach reed was was kind of my uh you know it was a longtime coach of mine his son travis was was two grades younger than me and, and, and probably should have played in the age group below us. You know, it was seven, eight grouped together, nine, tens, 11, 12s. He kind of always should have played lower, but he always played up because he was a, he was a good player. I remember one year Travis was going to play down with his friends that were in his grade. And he, he, after about a week, he came up and played with us again and was like, I, I just can't play down there. Like I gotta, I gotta play with a more competitive group. But so, so with Travis kind of always playing in, in my age group, Coach Reed coached us from, you know, when I was probably in second grade up till about 
sixth or maybe even through eighth grade. I can't quite remember, but um, he was one that was just great. And, and um, it was pretty cool. My class, the, the majority of us were, were together from when we were, you know, second, third and fourth graders all the way through senior year. And, and for a majority of those years were coached by uh, Jake Reed. And, and um, you know, that, that was pretty special for us. And I think was was a large part of why we were so successful my senior year. Another couple that come to mind, Bobby Horsey was a coach of mine in high school um, and, and was just obviously a great midfielder at Loyola and, and the MLL. And, and just I, I think I learned a lot about kind of team offense from him. Hunter Lochte helped us out one year and Connor Ford my senior year at McDonough. So, you know, on the offensive end of the field, we had a lot of a lot, a lot of knowledge and talent, you know, from players. Um, you know, Rob Scher, who was the goalie at McDonough, and then Johns Hopkins was kind of our goalie and defensive coach. Um, so just kind of a wealth of, of coaches there at McDonough that we were able to, you know, have, um, you know, teaching us every day. Um, it, you know, I just feel very fortunate to have those guys kind of uh, kickstart my, my lacrosse career, um, kind of through my you know, lower, middle, and, and high school uh, lacrosse career. How does a guy end up at McDonough? We hear all about all the different options you have in the MIAA. How do you end up at McDonough as opposed to, again, a boys Latin, Calvert Hall, or Gilman, or one of these other options? Right. Well, for me, it was easy. My, my dad went to McDonough as well as my uncle and my aunt worked at McDonough. So for me, it was, it was kind of a funny thing. I, I have an older sister who's two years older than me. And first grade, I went to public school and my sister was in third grade at the time. She was at public school. And I think my dad, as the story goes, was, was out at McDonough for like an alumni association meeting or something like that. And they made an announcement like, I think this was sometime over the summer, like maybe July. And, and they were like, hey, we still have some openings for you know, the start of school this year in a month and a half or so. If you know anybody in these grades, we have some openings. And, you know, before I knew it, I was out at McDonough kind of taking the, the entrance exam, if you will, for a second grader, whatever that is, and uh, getting a tour of the school. And, and I, I kind of, I think I remember my parents asking me, like, do you want to come here? And I was like, sure, it seems cool. And I, I don't think I really knew any better. I mean, you know, what am I, a six or seven-year-old? And But and it, it was funny. I, I remember the first day of class, the teacher would kind of go down the list and read everybody's name. And she didn't read my name. I'd raise my hand. And, and everywhere we went, when we went to the library and then went to like science lab or whatever, nobody had my name on the thing. So they always kind of the joke that I don't know if I ever even got in. I just kind of showed up and then stuck around, and eventually they had to keep me there, McDonough. But um, so so for me, I, I was a legacy, I guess. And uh, so the, the choice was easy. It wasn't kind of a, a thing where I was, you know, going in as a sixth grader, ninth grader, and kind of visiting a handful of schools. I mean, I, I was it's kind of all I knew, kind of going in there as a second grader. And uh, you know, I feel very fortunate. That, I mean, McDonough's a, a special place, and it's certainly over the past couple of years turned into, you know, it's the same school, but it looks a whole lot different. And it's pretty amazing what, what they've done with the campus there. And um, it's it's a place that I feel very fortunate to be able to, you know, say that I went to school there. We played uh, back in 2000, it was probably 2007, after 2007, I played in the Under Armour All-American game, and, and we practiced at McDonough, and it was farmland. Yeah. And I was coming yeah. from the suburb, I was from Long Island, and you, everywhere you look, there's houses or buildings or businesses or something. We go down yeah. to McDonough, and like, okay, they play lacrosse in this farm school? <laughs> that's right, that's right. And it obviously, it's an absolute powerhouse, but you played, you played soccer and lacrosse at McDonough through your whole athletic career. You know, when did you start playing soccer? How long did you did you play soccer until, and what was, did, did that help you as a lacrosse player? I mean, so many kids now specialize. What, what was your view on that as you grew up? I started playing soccer as a youngster, and I was probably three or four or five years old playing soccer and, and I I played a kind of rec soccer and, and a little bit of like travel sorry I wouldn't call it club but travel soccer from Mount Washington and um, I did that up, up through middle school and then obviously played soccer for McDonald's middle school team and, and I kind of jumped in and out of, of the club soccer scene I did it maybe a year year or so but it, you know the spring would roll around and you know you'd have the, the state cup going on in the spring and I had lacrosse and it, it kind of didn't work that well um, but, but I love playing soccer and I you know it's one thing Whenever I can catch, you know, English Premier League on TV or whatever it is, like I love watching it. I'm a fan of the sport. I just enjoy playing it. Um, and, and part of that, I think, is you know, there's a great lacrosse program at McDonough, but the soccer program is uh, arguably even better. I mean, they've something crazy like been to the last 14 league championships or something like that. You know, I, I know we won it my senior year, and they've been back almost every year since and, and competed for a, an MIA championship. Um, and I, I played with a handful of like really, really good soccer players, guys that are, um, you know, that played Division One soccer at Maryland and Wake Forest and UConn, and, and, and so that was that was pretty cool for me. I, you know, I considered myself kind of when I got to high school I was a lacrosse player but I loved playing soccer and 
was really, you know, able to find a role as a defenseman. And, and um, you know, I, I was just kind of – I tried to be as tough as I could possibly be. And, um, you know, just, just be a be a solid, uh, you know, defenseman on, on the soccer field. And there's no doubt it helped me in lacrosse. I mean, I think uh, I learned, you know, a lot of the passing lanes that, that you know, you see, that you see in lacrosse, it's, you learn from soccer, you know, how to, how to get to a spot where, you know, a pass isn't going to get knocked down because in soccer the ball's on the floor and you can't kick it through someone. Same idea in lacrosse. You know, you don't want to be throwing passes through guys. Um, but, you know, I love playing soccer. I still wish I could kind of get out and kick the ball around some. You know, everybody everybody and their brother is kind of saying, you know, it's important to play multiple sports, and I, I believe it. It's, uh, I stress with my high school kids that I coach, you know, I want to play in different sports. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, as much as we talk about it, I don't know if anybody's really kind of believing it yet. But, um, you know, I was one of those guys. I actually ran indoor track my sophomore year, too, just to kind of do something else other than kind of quote-unquote weight lift and, and, and do whatever in the offseason. But, yeah, I mean, I certainly believe that what everyone's saying, that the, the multi-sport athlete is the way to go. Was there a lot of kids at McDonough that were playing two sports? I mean, were most of the guys that you were playing lacrosse with also playing soccer? Or were some playing football? You know, what was the mix there? Yeah, we had a lot of guys playing multiple sports. Um, I think that, I think the thing that I notice nowadays is that the seasons, and I coach high school lacrosse in California, the seasons seem to overlap. You know, the football season runs late into, you know, late November, early December, which to me is like basketball and, and wrestling season. And, and even, you know, the basketball, the winter sports run into the spring pretty far. Whereas like when I was growing up, it, it seemed to me like first week in November, fall sports were over, and it was now you know basketball, wrestling, swimming season, and then you know late February, this, the winter sports were over, and, and the spring sports began. And it it kind of made it easier to play two and three sports because you weren't like missing the first three weeks of the next season sport because you were in the playoffs the other season. And it's just that, that's kind of the trend I see with with high school sports and playoffs kind of just going longer and longer. Uh, we had a lot of guys that, that played football and, and basketball soccer and, and i think it, it really helped us i mean coach reed i can remember my my uh my junior year we had a kid named nick marshall who ended up playing lacrosse at dickinson but he was a football player and he, and he played close defense for us he was a senior year older than me and we played at calvert hall and uh kevin huntley was, was a big time player for them and uh, nick marshall who's kind of a football player kind of you know a little bit rough on the edges i guess skill wise in his lacrosse covered kevin huntley and, and really did an unbelievable job and i can remember coach reed after the game saying you know i believe that nick was able to cover him because he was a football player and because he played a sport out of season and that, that kind of always stuck in my mind something that you know i believe him when he said it back then and that, and that was you know 10 10 or 11 years ago and uh, so that's something i think is true and it'll always be true one of the challenges that, that we hear about now is the recruiting world that, that you have to be at these fall events you have to be at these winter events but that's going to conflict with your football or soccer schedule and, and it's we i mean we've talked with a bunch of people about the lacrosse community and you're in it just as much as anybody it's what is the right thing to do there like when you absolutely play fall sports every coach says you play fall sport every you know every athlete out there says you play multiple sports but then when you as soon as you flip the recruiting switch you're like well we also need you to be at some of these fall events so it gets really difficult. Like you said, then there's that overlap. Yeah. I started my coaching job at Oaks Christian in December, so I wasn't really there for the fall. And I'm thinking all the time about, you know, how am I going to handle this? We have an unbelievable football program and, uh, and and guys that play other sports. At the same time, like, we need to get reps with our stick work and things like that. And, and it's like finding that balance of, okay, I don't want to conflict with other teams' practices. Um, I want kids to be committed to those sports. I don't want them to feel like they can't come to a little bit of lacrosse because they're afraid they're going to get injured. So it's always kind of that balance that you're trying to figure out. Obviously, the club and recruiting side of it is one, but as a high school coach for me, it's like, you know, I want the kids to play other sports, but, but what? really is the right thing to do um, to try and keep their, their stick in their hand at least a little bit in the off season. But yeah, I mean, thinking back to my high school experience, I think we played in, in the fall, we would play in one event and it was like right at the end of the fall sports season. So it was, it was kind of like nobody was going to have to worry about getting injured for their other sports. And then we had, we had Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, we played indoor lacrosse and it wasn't like box style or anything. It was just kind of playing. Um, and, and that was it, but it wasn't mandatory by any means. And, that, that was, and then we had the spring season. So it, was, it wasn't nearly the volume that, that the kids play nowadays. Yeah. We had a similar experience where you go to one tournament. And if you're having a really good football season and you're in the playoffs, you just missed the one event and it wasn't, 
wasn't there wasn't a lot of stress about it. But yeah. what were the summers like for you? You obviously went went on to play college lacrosse. You, you mentioned that you only played a little bit of soccer in the travel world. But what was the recruiting process? What were the summers like for you for lacrosse? Yeah, it, it wasn't. Um, you know, I feel like I remember going, and this is something I think about and talk about all the time. Is you know, I, I remember as, as a ninth grader, you know, between ninth and tenth and tenth and eleventh grade, I went to some recruiting you know events, but I went to instructional camps too, and I, I learned how to become a better lacrosse player. Um, and and you know, I remember. I think uh, after my 10th grade year, we took our JV team, went to champ camp. And then after, and the varsity team went to what, what was at the time the SCX shootout at UMBC. And so we went to those events as, as a team and we would do pretty well in them because we were, we were, we were a team playing against a lot of club teams. And that was a good, it was good exposure for us because we were comfortable with who we were playing. We had a familiarity with one another. And I think that helped us a lot um, in, the, in those events to do well and kind of be seen and just, you kind of, I think, show coaches a true version of yourself um, when you're playing with guys that you know, and you kind of know your role within a team um, as opposed to kind of the, the club deal where it's a little more of a showcase an individual thing but um you know i remember i, I, I you know we do the, the the tournament with the, the mcdonough jv or varsity team and then um i do a couple other things i didn't i didn't really play club lacrosse it wasn't like a, a thing i mean it was kind of just starting to emerge i think um but you know i think like the uh Baltimore lacrosse club and like the crabs are kind of starting to gain a little traction but i, I wasn't and, and like a club called the griffins but i was never really invited to play in these events with them and i guess i didn't know the right people but um <clears throat> i played in some other tournaments i did uh the this fca high school national team the first year they did it we did a little tour of some practices and played a couple games and then tournament um, but it, again it wasn't nearly the volume that, that i think kids go through nowadays and, and like i mentioned earlier you know i was i was going to camps and, and learning how to become a better player and that's some, one thing that i think kind of gets lost is like everyone's so concerned with oh i need to be seen where can i go to be seen by the right coaches and it's like i think we need to worry more about let's be a better lacrosse player first and then that'll happen we'll get seen you know i heard greg randley one time on a, on a podcast say like when, when was the last time you heard of the best the number one recruit not get recruited by you know duke hopkins virginia um and syracuse i mean they're, they're, they're just not gonna miss them if they're, if they're a good player so um that was just one thing that i remember is like i was like still concerned with the a better player and learning, you know, technique, how to just, um, you know, be a better player as opposed to just playing games and, and going to tournaments. We have that, that conversation all the time where you, you sit down with kids or parents before the summer and they lay out, or nowadays we start scheduling in December, January for what the upcoming summer is going to look like. And they'll lay out five or six different different tournaments and another three or four different showcase events and then another different camp and then by the time you look at it you're like okay so over this six or seven week period you're traveling all over the east coast and hitting every event you possibly can and you're never really practicing right. <laughs> and, and the kids and now it's starting i said you're starting that say you're an eighth grader going to ninth grade and you're starting that that process you're starting that okay i need to be early recruited is the mindset of some of these kids and they're going to do that same schedule up until their senior year well you just missed two months of every summer and i'm trying to get better just traveling and playing game after game yeah and the other thing i would say with that is, is, is game experience is certainly important but if you think about a tournament set up you're going to play maybe what five or six games in a tournament if you're a midfielder i'm a midfielder so i know my stats i, I average about six or seven shots a game and so if you're going to play six games let's say you take 36 to 40 shots in a weekend um and you think about that in a weekend you take 40 shots in, in a game setting where if you went out and grabbed a bag of balls and went out for an hour you could take 150 shots and you think about like man like how much better yeah it's good to get the game experience and things like that but like man like what value you are we kind of losing um and what, what's the trade-off there um it's something that i know like you know players become better on their own i think and, and teams become better you know playing in games and, and practicing but um that, that's another thing that i've thought about and it's like kind of gotten lost a little bit backwards when i think about it you know it just takes kind of getting out and doing it on your own and getting the, the volume individually developing skills it's probably you know in my mind kind of more how i approach it as a, as a you know, younger player and that's it you put it in a great perspective there because you think about okay if you're if you're a defenseman you get dodged two or three times a game maybe four times a game. if you're a long stick defenseman or you're a close defenseman over six games you're talking 18 20 times over the course of a weekend well you can do that one practice right you know just, yeah. when you break it down to that minute detail how much you're actually doing it definitely changes it would change the vision of a lot of kids and i say oh, wow that, that practice makes a huge difference versus what i did over six games in a weekend right what was the recruiting process like for you you played with your you played with mcdonough and some of these, some of these events you went to a couple of showcase events on your own you end up at butler you know take us through how that whole 
whole process unfolded for you? Because it's very different than what it is today. Yeah, sure. I mean, I um, I guess probably the biggest event that I failed to mention that I went to was was I went to Blue Chip, and back then it was obviously run by it's, it still is run by Jay Reed, but it was held at McDonough. I, I think somebody backed out like pretty last minute, and I got invited about two days before, and, and I remember. My dad got the call from Jake. He was like, "Hey, he's got a spot. If you want to go to Blue Chip," and I was like, "I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough to play in that." And my dad was kind of like, "Just you're gonna like just go play. You know, don't worry about that. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out later." But um, that was a big event. And that that was held right before July 1st, before your senior year. It was kind of the last week of June. So you're, this is this is junior year going into senior that summer, basically that that last window for most guys. Yeah, yeah. So that that, that was kind of the, the last summer, and and this, just to give you an idea of, of where my head's at, like I hadn't even thought about. I mean, not that I hadn't thought about playing in college. I think I had the idea that I wanted to do that. But if you would ask me where you want to go. I, I, I wouldn't have the slightest idea. And, and I didn't even, I remember like talking to other, you know, because obviously Blue Chip still had, draws the, the you know, highest quality coaches and, and they were all there. And it was, it was it was an incredible opportunity to play. I remember just being there, like being like, wow, like this is an incredible group of players. It was 106, 112 players. And, and some of the most fun lacrosse I remember playing um, just because everyone was so good. And, and uh, I think it, it boosted my confidence a lot. It definitely did. Because I was like, you know, I can play with these guys. So it went pretty well for me there. But, you know, in talking with the other players that were there, you know, a couple of them I remember being like, you know, yeah, I'm planning to commit to Hopkins or Princeton next week. And that was really the first I'd heard of. I was like, holy cow, like that's so early. You know, I'm like, you're going to commit next week. Like, I don't even know what I'm thinking about. Like, you know, lunch or like. Uh, <laughs> trying to figure I, out my July 4th weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I had no idea that guys were already kind of starting this. And this is July before their senior year. So from a timeline perspective, it's pushed way back. And my experience after that, you know, the, the first of July officially is the day the coaches can call. And it, it was pretty cool for me. I mean, I got, I got a, a lot of a lot of phone calls. And I remember one of my first couple phone calls, and I shared with this with Coach Sanowski in January when we were down in Florida, was, was from him when he was at Hofstra. And, and I can just remember here, you know, I, I had a mailbox in our family's you know, voicemail, and I'd come home every day from school or whatever it was. And I, you know, when I get home from a camp, I guess, because it was summer, I'd, you know, listen to him and I'd go through. And that was one of the first ones I'd always hear. Hey, Jeremy, this is Coach Sanowski from Hofstra. And, and like, so, you know, that was one of the first ones I got. And I had a handful of them. But I remember, I remember talking to everyone from like, you know, Hofstra, Georgetown, Ohio State, all the way down to like these Division three schools that you've never heard of you know it was just like there's there just such a wide range of, of schools that you know i've reached out to me and, and whether that was kind of just like sort of spam phone calls or whatever it was but i kind of i didn't really have an idea of what i wanted to do and um it was kind of funny i remember later in the summer coach reed we were playing in, in this scx shootout at umbc you know asked how things were going and I, I as far as recruiting goes and i was like yeah well i'm talking to these schools and i named off like the you know i wanted to sound as cool as i could like yeah i'm talking to Ohio state and loyola and you know, a couple other schools and he just said have you talked to the coach at butler and i was like yeah yeah i talked to him but you know kind of thinking to myself like yeah i talked to him but it's not quite quite you know for me mm-hmm. um but kind of little did I know the relationship that Stan Ross and, and Coach Reed had. Um, and I, you know, when I kind of came down through it and came down to it, excuse me, and, and all, you know, I started committing and spots were starting to fill up. You know, the only schools that I took visits to were Loyola and Baltimore and then and then Butler. Um, you know, kind of similar size schools, you know, about four or 5,000 students, similar kind of uh, in the city, but, but uh, kind of has their own campus type, type deal. One's 15 minutes down the road, one's 10 hours in a car in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I had a great visit at Butler. I really liked Coach Ross. And uh, he came to a soccer game of mine and then came over to came over to dinner uh, at our house and sat with us at the table. And I just remember kind of a couple weeks later after I got on my visit to Loyola, just pretty much saying to myself, like, man, I can't say no to that guy. You know, he came, came to my house and had dinner with me and came to a soccer game. So I was sad, like, I, you know, I had a good visit and kind of felt like, you know, Butler was going to be a good place for me to be a part of kind of turning the program around. This was your, so this was your, now we were talking fall of your senior year before you even committed to so this process. Yeah. You in July, dragged through August. Now we're into September, October. You're already in your soccer season. And Coach Ross, who's now the coach of the Florida launch and still very sure. involved in the game. Now he's watching you play those other sports that we talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't have a cell phone, so over the summer it was kind of hit or miss. When, when I, you know, when I'd be home between camps or whatever, I'd, I'd uh, you know, sit down and make a few phone calls or try to, you know, catch them when my parents were around and they had a phone. 
but yeah, the, the process kind of probably went a lot slower than it does nowadays. But so, yeah, so, so senior, imagine a kid now, a senior in high school doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> right. I got one. I literally, I think my dad handed me a cell phone like a day before I was about to, you know, go out to Butler. I didn't have a phone until I was literally leaving for college. Because just kind of, and, and it sounded, we sound old, don't we? Oh yeah, it was, it was the only way he knew you were gonna call home. Be like, hey, dad, I, I survived. I met Butler. Yeah. I had a few classes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it, it did. It was. Uh, I want to say late October um, that I finally committed. I, I just felt comfortable with Butler, and, and, and I made a decision to go there. Um, so yeah, it was it was sometime late fall, I would say. So you go to you have a, finish up, have a great senior year at McDonough, go on to Butler, which I'm sure go again dating ourselves. A lot of people listening, like, the kids are like, what, what, what is this? <laughs> the basketball school? So Butler had a program when you were there. You expect big things. You walk in, bright eyed, bushy tail as a freshman, and, and, and then what happened? So I actually we played my freshman year, and, and uh, we had a, we had a rough rough year. I'd say. I mean, I'm coming off uh, playing McDonough where we went 22 and won my senior year, and, and won a lot of games, you know, all throughout my career. And I remember going to Butler, and I think we were four and ten or something like that. Our first game um, was at, our first game was at Duke in. Uh, this was 2006, so this was the year they had their season canceled. We played them before their season canceled. They beat us 20 to three, and I just remember like just being like, "Holy cow, what did I get myself into? Like, I can't do this for four years." Um, so that was like kind of a punch to the gut. I was like, "Well, we got some work to do here." But um, you know, played my, my, my freshman year, and I had a, I had a great year. Um, you know, ran first midfield and um, really enjoyed my teammates and everything like that. Um, was really excited to go back my sophomore year. Went back in the fall, and you know, we played in you know did the whole fall ball thing, and then it was actually in January of my sophomore year. Uh, this was kind of late January 2007. We uh, got, we all got called in for a meeting and we, we thought uh, you know we weren't sure really what the meeting was about but long and short of it was the athletic director came in and, and told us that as of june that year the lacrosse program will be cut so if there were enough guys that wanted to stay we would have been able to play that year um but all the freshmen you know basically like no we're not gonna play you know why would i play one year here and then go somewhere else um so they kind of they they, they were out so we're down to like however many players and then and then i kind of didn't know what and a lot of people didn't know what to do uh, but I, I remember coach ross like right after we had that meeting was like do you want to go play somewhere else and i was like what are you talking about? Like, you know, this is late January. Schools are in session. Mm. Um, you know, long story short, that was a Friday that they told us that, that program, the program was going to be canceled. Um, I talked to Coach Cotto on Saturday. On Sunday, I basically told him, hey, if I can withdraw from school, you know, we're, we're, we're a week and a half in the class. If I, if I can withdraw and get my money back or turn on my books and kind of leave, I'll come to Maryland. Um, so kind of Monday, Tuesday, I, I went and met with all these people and withdrew from school. And uh, I flew home on Wednesday. And on Thursday, I drove down to College Park with my parents. And I practiced in Maryland that day. So, so did you have an idea? But before you even left, before you left in December for, for your holiday break, for your winter break, did, did anybody have an idea? I know that I was being recruited in that summer of 2006 going into 2007. So I remember Coach Gabs, Coach Gabrielli called. Anybody, he was at Butler at the time, if I'm right, and was, yep. recruiting, was actively recruiting. And, and I know guys committed to play there that were, we were seniors in high school that year. Did yep. you guys know before you left for the holidays that this was even a possibility, or, or was it a total curveball come January? No, it, I mean, total curveball is putting it mildly. I mean, we, uh, like I said, we've been practicing for a week and a half. We had a meeting at like three o'clock on Friday, and, you know, I, I, had a stick in my hand that I just strung ready to go to practice. And, and there, we thought it was going to be like a meeting and we'd have practice after, like, you know, maybe we were in trouble like academically or maybe we thought uh, maybe a full team drug test or something like that. Like we figured it was just something, you know, not too out of the ordinary that you would experience, you know, or have to have a meeting about as the college team. And uh, it took us all back to press. I mean, it, it was, um, I don't think there's ever a good time to cut a program. I've heard of other, of other sports and, and universities cutting programs. It's just, it's so challenging because you have, you know, guys that are, you know, freshmen, seniors, guys that are a year into their majors, you know, it's difficult to transfer. It's just, there's never a good time to do it. I always, you know, feel pity when I hear about it because, you know, I went through it and, and really understand the challenges that it, prevents, it presents. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a total shock to all of us. It, I mean, I, I would say that the, uh, the school didn't do a very good job. They, they told our coaches, you know, I think within an hour before the meeting as well. I mean, they had no idea. Um, but I remember we walked in the room and Coach Ross is, and, and Matt Florio, who's our, who's our assistant coach, you know, just had this look on his face like, you know, something was up and, and it wasn't good. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of a wild, wild thing. So had you, going back to your recruiting process, did you, you said you visited Loyola, was Maryland even in the picture when you were going through your recruiting process? Very slightly. I, I, uh, I talked with Coach Cottle 
after a, uh, a game in the summer at, at the at the SDS shootout at UMBC, I remember after the game, Coach Reed was like, hey, uh, Coach Cottle's down there at the corner. He, uh, he just watched us play and he wants to talk to you. And so I walked down and introduced myself. And, you know, he, at the time, Travis Holmes, who was a couple years older than me, was a McDonough kid, was at Maryland. And, and Bryn Holmes, who was a year younger than me, was, was going to Maryland too. And uh, Coach Cottle was just like, yeah, you know, I'd love to have you down for a visit. Why don't you send your transcripts in and we'll get you down for a visit. And um, honestly, I, I just didn't feel like I was good enough to play there. And so I never even bothered sending my transcripts, um, which, you know, I wouldn't advise. I mean, you always want to, you know, see, see an opportunity through, but I, I just kind of was like, yeah, kind of like, yeah, right. Like, there's no way. Um, so I, I talked to him a little bit. And then kind of when I ended up going to Maryland, it, it really, all the pieces fell into place. I mean, Coach Reed has, you know, as a Maryland alum, has a great relationship with Coach Cottle. Um, when, you, when I remember looking through kind of like every school, could I go here? Could I go here? Could I go here? Just like, would it make sense? And I remember looking at Maryland's roster and they, the year before they had just graduated, you know, Joe Walters, Bill McGlone, Xander Ritz, and, uh, you know, one of the Healy's. So they just graduated a ton of offensive points. Um, and so the door was kind of wide open. And it just kind of made me feel like, yeah, well, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And, um, you know, I was coming home a little bit. Um, I've been down to College Park a handful of times for football and basketball games. But, um, you know, I'm sure my parents love not having to fly or drive 10 hours to see me play. They just kind of hop on 95 and go down to College Park. So, so you get there. You're the new kid on the block once again. You know, what's it like? They already started their, their – spring practices what was you know that first practice when you walk in the door you know what was that first practice that first week like there, there's a handful of memories that kind of popped to mind i mean there, there were a handful of guys that i knew like i said travis holmes was a mcdonough guy and i knew a handful of other guys like scotty tompkins from it was a gilman kid it was my age and so there were some guys that i vaguely knew but i mean you're walking in the room with 50 guys and it was i remember being in class i think on friday and someone on the team said hi to me and i, I said hi back but i didn't even know he was on the team you know it was just like a, kind of thrust into you know being on a new team um i remember you know coach cottle was 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 incredible to me just easing that transition um I wore number 20 when I was at Butler, and uh, he asked another player to switch numbers so that I could be number 20, and, and, that, and that player was willing to do it, which was pretty awesome. I mean, just like doing little things like that to kind of make me feel at home, and, um, you know, I, I just remember Coach Kyle, you know, speaking words, you know, of confidence towards me, because I, I just like, this was going from, from Butler, who's like, you know, what, 40th, 50th in, the, in, in Division One to, to Maryland, and I was like, man, this is at a whole different level. Um, but we, you know, we, we scrimmed it. So I got there Thursday in practice and went to class Friday practice, and then we scrimmed Princeton on Saturday. And I just remember being like, you know, pretty, I don't know if I was lost. And, you know, our offensive coach was, was Coach Andy Copeland, and they did a, a nice job of kind of letting me get my feet under me a little bit. But um, it, it was quite a, quite an experience. I mean, uh, like I said, I'd only been out of College Park a couple times, so it was a new campus, a new team, and just kind of finding my way around. But um, I guess it, it went as well as it possibly could have. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a, it was a challenging situation I was kind of put into, and it worked out pretty well. Uh, I got to play a lot that year, and it was uh, you know, really the best place for me. So you walk right in, totally different. Like I said, you went from a school of 5,000 to a school of 25,000. <laughs> yep. Totally different ends of the spectrum on lacrosse field. There's a, you know, a team that was, like I said, lower-ranked team to one of the top teams in the country. And you're playing right away, and you, you go on to have a great career at Maryland. Unfortunately, you don't win a national championship. You beat Carolina a few times. I, I remember those pretty specifically. <laughs> what were you know, one of the two or three games when you're at Maryland that, that really stood out to you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. This is uh, this brings back some great memories. The first one would be uh, my sophomore year. It was a uh, Friday night game in Annapolis. It was on my birthday, and uh, it, it was just uh, we were playing Navy at uh, Marine Corps Stadium. And, you know, I think it was about 15,000 people there. Uh, Friday night game. It was just a beautiful night, and uh, we ended up going to overtime with them and, and beat them in double overtime, I think. And uh, you know, I, I can just remember like how cool the atmosphere was. You know, you got Maryland versus Navy, a long, you know, long-standing rivalry, and uh, being able to be a part of that so quickly and, and get to play and contribute um, was really awesome. I, I can just remember the feeling I had sitting there stretching before the game, like this is going to be an electric night. And uh, that's probably the first one that, that comes to mind. And the second one would be my senior year. We uh, we, we kind of had an up and down regular season, but, but um, you know, we earned ourselves a spot in the playoffs and we actually had to travel in the first round. And we were going out to South Bend to play Notre Dame. And it was the year they were, they were undefeated in the regular season. I believe they were 16-0 and, and got earned a home game. And we went out there, I think, you know, as an underdog. And, um, you know, we were able to beat them in, in, in a real, you know, typical kind of, heavyweight battle, I think the final score was 7-3, but um, I just remember after that game, um, 
feeling really proud as a senior that, that um, we were able to go in there and do something that nobody else that season had done, which was to beat Notre Dame and do it at their place uh, during the playoffs. So that was a game that uh, we talked to Scotty Rogers a few weeks ago. He actually mentioned that kind of the, he was the other end of that, where mm-hmm. he was the goalie then, and they're 15 now. I think that's his first year as a starter. Yep. And you guys come and beat him. I think that's the game where, where Phipps tore his ACL. It was the next game. Okay. For, it was uh, that was against Syracuse when we were up at Hofstra the next game. But that was we beat Notre Dame to, to be able to go uh, to the next round of playoffs and play Syracuse, and that's where <laughs> that's infamously for his ACL. Yeah, so it was a sad act. The uh, <laughs> celebrating a save, right? And... Uh, I don't. I always thought he was uh, more um, disagreeing with the call. <laughs> you know, I think it was something like he, he felt like he was interfered with or felt something like that. He kind of jumped up to give me like give the ref like a like a yeah right type thing. I mean, either way, totally unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that well. <laughs> so you have a great career at Maryland, and then you kind of you, you don't take that traditional path from Maryland to the MLL and, and go on to so You took a little bit of a the, the winding road in college continued for you to yep. Durham University in England, and you, you took one of the fastest programs abroad. How did you get into that? I mean, people have heard a little bit about lacrosse in England, but, but it's not a player like Jeremy Siebert who goes on to be an MLL pro doing it. You know, how did you kind of get into that? Right. Well, I guess the first thing to kind of to clear up here is I actually spent another year after uh, I finished playing at Maryland, and I was a student assistant coach because I transferred. I was way behind. I didn't even actually start in the business school until my my fourth year, senior year. So I had to finish another whole year of, of business school. Um, so I was a student assistant at Maryland, and then basically after I graduated, I, I kind of was like, you know, now what? You know, I, I, I you know I like lacrosse. You know, I'm not sure if I want to coach, but I was looking for I'm one of these uh, you know lacrosse job listings pages, and uh, I came across this this thing about Durham University, and uh, turned out I had a friend that had looked into it the year before and, and decided not to do it. I called him and, and we chatted about it a little bit and he was like, Hey, why don't you talk to another guy named John O'Linebaugh who played at Messiah College and they were also friends and John O was over there uh, getting his, his uh, theology degree and um, so I quickly kinda of talked to John O and um, before I knew it, the, the folks from Durham kind of called me and were like, hey, are you interested in doing this? And I was like, yeah, I guess so, why not? And it was really my dad that kind of pushed me. To, he was like, Jeremy, you should really think about doing this. Like, it's a great opportunity and you, know, you weren't able to go abroad at all at, at Maryland. And, um, so I kind of just went with it and um, you know, went over there on kind of a, a, you know, a coach player, like minimum, you know, minimum scholarship. And uh, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I always tell people I learned twice as much um, outside of the classroom as I did in the classroom, just living in another country for nine, 10 months and just experiencing what that culture is like. And um, it was a really cool, cool, cool experience. Got to travel kind of all over England and a good bit throughout Europe and, um, you know, coach them across and which was, which was entertaining uh, more than anything probably. But uh, it's cool to kind of follow that those guys, you know, that Durham would bring over American or international athletes rather for a lot of their sports. I think there were about 40 or 50 of us. And, um, even the year before we got there, they had won, it's called the Bucks, uh, basically their version of the NCAA, uh, that championship, and they've won it ever since and haven't lost um, since, I guess, like 2010 or you know, whatever, since whenever they started bringing over lacrosse players. So it's pretty cool to kind of see the dynasty they built, um, I guess, uh, you know, over the past couple of years. But at the end of the day, it was, it was a great experience. I mean, it's a pretty cool opportunity. I've, I've had a handful of people ask me, you know, would you recommend it? And I, you know, totally, totally would. And I ended up, you know, getting a master's degree, which I'll have the rest of my life, which is pretty cool. I know I know a few guys that have done it, and they've all said it's been an unbelievable experience. And so you're in a, you're, you're kind of in a, Role. You do a little bit of coaching, you do play occasionally, and then you're obviously in the classroom. Is that kind of how it all works? You're, you're getting a blend of everything right. with the travel. Yeah, it's, it's a little different than there, kind of there's three different things I think people kind of look at. One is like the, uh, you know, travel abroad, you know, where you're taking class Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you get to travel a ton. Like I was a full-time student, so I had class Monday to Friday, and it, it wasn't, um, you know, it was it was fairly demanding. I mean, very, a, a different type of learning, I would say. A lot of, you know, uh, writing papers and things like that, which is which is different. Not as many tests like we have here in the states. So, I was a full time student, which is different than like like I said, you know, students going abroad for a semester and they get the opportunity to travel a ton. The other thing that's that's fairly popular in England is the LDO program through you know English Cross Association. That's more of like just a coaching role, and you you know you get associated with the club and and coach you know youth all the way up through you know the university level. And that's not really what I did either. But you hit the nail on the head. It's you know doing some coaching and, and playing some, um, and then you're full time student too. So um, you kind of it was a good mix um, to kind of, you know, feel like it was worthwhile and that I was getting a master's degree, you know, have some fun coaching and playing and then, you know, having the opportunity to travel a good bit as well. 
So you go over, you do this program in England, and, and then you're coming back to the States, and, and you're playing in the MLL, but not really. Your, your first two years in the MLL, you, you didn't get a ton of burn, you didn't play much at all, and you're with Chesapeake, and then you find your way to Denver. What was it like being in Chesapeake, and, and they were good, as they always are, and then talk about that, that shift going from playing with Chesapeake, and then you find your way to Denver. Right, so I actually had uh, I played in three MLL games before I went over to England. Um, went over to England, and then, and then came back for the 2011 season, and, and because I was still in, I didn't get back until uh, about June in 2011 from graduate school, so in the MLL had kind of been rolling already, and, and so I didn't play any games that year. And, um, you know, the Bayhawks, you know, the, the midfielders they had, you know, Kyle Dick and Michael Kimmel, Ben Hunt, I mean, just, just stacked and, and just had a hard time cracking the lineup. And the reason I played in 2010 was because that was one of the world games were in Manchester, and we had, you know, Alex Smith and Josnowski and a couple of guys playing for the U.S. team, and I had an opportunity to finally dress. But, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was challenging. I mean, I, I was... Uh, I was committed to being at all the practices. I was local. I was, I was still living at home in Baltimore, and I went to all the practices and stood on the sidelines for the game for the home games. And you know, as, a, as I called it, a professional polo shirt wearer. And uh, <laughs> that was just kind of the way it was. And, and uh, it was tough. I would say that I, had I not been traded to Denver, I don't, I don't know that I would have stuck with it much longer, just because you know I played three games in two seasons, and it just kind of wasn't wasn't working out for me. And um, but fortunately, you know, Denver got a new general manager in Tony Feeman, a new coach in, in Coach Sagnita, and, you know, a few conversations here and there. And next thing I know, I'm, you know, involved in a trade. Really, it was, you know, Joe Sanowski for Drew Westfeld, and then they threw me in with Sanowski to go out to Denver, and that's how I ended up in Denver. And uh, there's there's this common, mis- I think it's a misperception, that, that, and maybe it was different then, that we can, that we as players can just force trades wherever we want. And we can say, hey, right. I want to go here, I want to do this, I want to do that. But that's not exactly the case. You're, you're able to say, hey, I, you know, I would like an opportunity to play as well, but you weren't able to just say, hey, I want to go to Denver, I'm not playing at all, right? Right. I, I mean, I, I just remember. Coach Cottle called me one day. He was then the uh, kind of, um, I don't know exactly what his title was, consultant for the Bayhawks. And he, he just called me and said, hey, would you want to play somewhere else? And at the time, there was a team in Canada, you know, Hamilton Nationals. And I, I don't know if I said this, but I thought this. I said, I thought, as long as it's not Hamilton, I'll come in. <laughs> because I wasn't, I wasn't interested in, in traveling across the border. Um, and when he said Denver, I was like, holy cow, like, everybody knows it's, it's, you know, the best place to play and, and things like that. So I, I kind of jumped. I was like, yeah, I'm, 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 that's fine with me. And, and the thing that I can remember about this is it was uh, 2000, before 2000. 12 season so it was the expansion year when charlotte ohio came into the league so each team could only keep 12 players and, and so here i am i played in three games in two years and denver is now traded for joe Sanowski and me and i'm kind of looking at the roster i'm like i don't know if they're even going to protect me like they might have just done it to make the trade even or whatever i mean they did that but why would they protect me you know they don't have to protect me and so you know it's kind of this thing like i remember when the protected rosters came out because the trade happened right before then just being like man i wonder if they trade for me and they want to protect me um but it turned out they did and um you know, so I had, I had, gosh i wish they didn't i yeah, wish they didn't so bad Right. I mean, so, you know, that was it. So when that roster came out as a 12 man, I was like, well, I got a home, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there for training camp, which I, I was like, you know, I'm not going to get a, another great shot at this again. Um, so it's go time. And I just, I remember kind of telling myself, I'm, I'm going to take more shots than anybody else in the league this off season. You know, it's, I can control that, you know, I can, I can work harder and just I'm going to take more shots. That's, that's as simple as it gets. And I committed to it and worked really hard that off season. And um, that was when I moved to California and, and that, you know, nice weather being able to be outside and, you know, February, March um, helped, I think. And, and, you know, I uh, kind of burst out on the scene that year, and it was kind of a, a here I am moment, which was pretty awesome. Something I waited for for a long time, and, and uh, it was a pretty kind of special time for me. And, and you've never really looked back. You said you, it was that burst out of the scene moment where you uh, you you know arrived on the scene as one of the best players in the world, and like, go on to be an MLL Pro, win an MLL Championship, and, and you're peaking at 28 years old, and for, hopefully there's more upside. How are you doing it? You know, how, how are you playing your best lacrosse ever at, at this point? I, I think it's a couple things. It's a great question. I mean. Um, you know, first of all, I work really hard at it. I mean, there, there's no, there's no, uh, there's, like I tell my, my players, there's no substitution for, you know, repetition, you know, and hard work. And, and uh, I just, I spend a lot of time and energy and, you know, I'm committed to it. You know, I probably don't talk about it or show it, you know, on social media as much as some other people do, but I, I just, 
I, uh, I want to be, you know, I want to compete. I want to, when I play, to, to know that I've uh, worked really hard and, you know, give myself the confidence to, to go out and play well. Um, you know, I, I started training. I've had a couple of trainers the past couple of years, but working with somebody individually and, and really having a good relationship with a trainer has helped, you know, talk about training different systems from my, you know, endurance to explosiveness to agility. And that has helped a lot, I think. Um, like I said, going out and just shooting as much as I can and, uh, you know, trying to simulate game situations. I mean, I, I, I watch film every week of our games over the summer and I look at the dodges, you know, the opportunities I had to dodge and, and what happened and, you know, every every week when I you know go and look and I see you're playing Charlotte and I know you know you're going to be guarding me or somebody. You know, I have an idea of what I think you know might work. And, and so when I go out to shoot that week, I, I practice those things and I practice them 100. And, and um, that that's helped me a lot. Really, kind of focused training, I think, is um, you know something that's helped me be successful. And um, you know, and the last thing I'll say is is it's, it's my team around me. Um, you know, just kind of being given the, the feeling that you know by, by my by my coaches and general manager, like you know you have a spot and you're here and we believe in you and you're part of this, gave me a ton of confidence. And, and I, you know, I wasn't nervous about losing my spot you know the first first game that i played in it was just like just you know we're gonna go out and play and uh that was a big thing for me i always kind of felt like you know prior to that i was always you know on, on, just trying to get a spot and keep it and, and i wasn't able to do that but i'm um, just kind of being, being seen as a, as a part of the, the reason why the outlaws are going to be successful was uh was something that i think kind of uh you know got me excited and, and uh kind of helped me be confident when i went out and played so a handful of things uh, like i said but um you know it's uh, i tell people this all the time i mean you know how i got to denver and, and everything like that and the success that we've had since then, I mean, I couldn't have, if you told me to, Jeremy, write down, if you could have it go the best way it could, write it down, like, it's been better, you know, than I could have written it down, you know, so it's been a really special, you know, experience for me and um, you know, something that I, I enjoy doing. I mean, I love competing every weekend and, you know, it's just, a, it's a great opportunity we have to play in the MLL and, and just play against the guys we're playing against week in and week out. There was a couple of interesting things that, that you said there. And one, we've heard from a few guys actually, and it was kind of surprising the first time I heard it, but I've been through it is you have a trainer that you work with day in and day out. And we're in a unique environment where we don't have a team to practice with every week. And so much of it, of it falls on the individual to, to go and do the running. I, I think about it myself. I'm, I'm out running as, you know, as you get ready for your next game or the upcoming season of, I want to be a defense in the MLL. I really just signed up for running a lot on my own with my headphones <laughs> in. Like, that's, right. that's all it is. And I, I'm in the same boat where I have a trainer that I work out with and Scotty Rogers has, you know, Scott is a trainer, so it's a little different, but, but Scott had the same thing. Marcus Holman had a similar thing to say where he's working out with a trainer and working out with teammates. And Scott Ratliff works out with Dorsey Levins in Atlanta, so he's got a trainer. And, and one of the pieces of advice that we heard early on during the podcast was, you know, what would you give, what would you tell a younger guy coming into the league? You know, how do you make this sustainable? Because we see so much turnover in our league of guys that come in for a year and then are out the next year. And one of the best things was get a trainer, you know, commit to this craft. And, and part of that commitment is, is finding a trainer and somebody you're going to work with to continue getting better as you go throughout your career, which, which you've done. Then the other one was was having your coaches believe in you because I think there's this conception that we're at the top of the world that we're these alpha male athletes that you that you've kind of pushed aside the confidence thing. But there are so many guys in this league that are good because they play with the confidence, knowing that the entire coaching staff, the entire organization is behind them, and they don't need to worry about dropping a pass or shooting, you know, shooting ten. There's been games where Jeremy Severs goes out and doesn't score a goal, and then he comes back the next game and scores five goals. And that's all just a belief thing from the coaching staff in relation that, that he's got that ability. Like you said, that's where you play with so much more confidence. Totally. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, both of those things are, are huge. I mean. Um, you ask any of the guys who work with a trainer, you know, I, I usually would work with my trainer, you know, two, two or three days a week, but the other days when I'm not with them, like as hard as I try to go, I always go harder when I have a trainer there. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, that, that second part of having your coaches and GMs believe in you with, you know, with so much turnover, the, the league is very fickle, you know, it's, and it's, it's unpleasant to a lot of people, you know, they're, they're guys that have great careers and they kind of overnight just like disappear. And, and um, it, it's a, it's a challenge to stay atop of your game and, and um, you know, contribute week in and week out, especially when, you know, we're doing all the things we're doing in the summer with camps and everything like that, you know, it, it's a challenge, but um, having that confidence is, is, a, is a big part of it. Um, and, and I think, you know, having consistent 
uh, players is a big deal. You know, when you have to sign up each weekend in the MLL, it really it really pays off um, in the long term. So um, that's two great points there. One of the, one of the things that supported your career is that was that decision to become a full time professional lacrosse person. So you're coaching, you're playing, you're doing camps, you're you have your Under Armour endorsement. You have a, a Maryland business degree. If you wanted to go up to Wall Street, you could do it in a second. If you wanted to go to you know Nike or Under Armour and work in their marketing and their business form, you could do it in a second. What what kind of helped you and supported your decision to say you know what I'm going to do lacrosse full time and and here's why I'm comfortable doing it. Yeah, I think, again, there's a couple things. I I, uh, I kind of just had this 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 fear of, of being in a job that I didn't like, and, and I was just like, man, I, I just I don't want to do that. And so I kind of waited around for a, a perfect opportunity in kind of the, the nine to five job world, and basically it never came. And, and then um, you know I kind of moved out to California and was coaching high school lacrosse and playing the MLL, and and I, it kind of came down to it. And the fall once the MLL season finished, it came down to it. And I was like, I need I need to you know find a little more consistent work. And I basically took a job and I hated it. Like it was terrible. I, I did it for about three months, and I was just like, this is not it. And so I went, you know, I went back and was coaching high school and just kind of doing the lessons and, and grinding that way, trying to make a living. And then and, and I had another great year in the MLL. And I was like, you know what? Like, I see a lot of other guys doing this lacrosse stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Like, I think I should be able to get some people to come here what I have to say and be able to coach and do some camps and things like that. And um, so it's just kind of developed over the past couple of years from doing, you know, lessons to group lessons to, you know, more of like a offensive skills camp and uh, now youth camps. And, and now um, I have a full-time coaching position to coach Christian, like I mentioned earlier. So, you know, it's kind of a, I look at it as like I wear three different hats. I'm a high school cross coach. You know, I, I run some of the camps and, and a couple of events in the summer and then I'm a lacrosse player too. So um, kind of juggling those three things and, it, uh, you know, it, it, it keeps you busy, man. One way or another, it's kind of you're always doing something. So what do you think in your opinion, phase one, what needs to happen? in our sport for more and more guys to, to make that jump, to make that leap, to, to become professional lacrosse players or lacrosse people, like you say, where you have that blend to everything. I think uh, I think what I find is there's a, there's a lot of us that are, you know, we love the sport of lacrosse, and I think we're pretty good at coaching it, and we know how to coach it the right way, and how you know, we were probably taught growing up on the East Coast and, you know, playing lacrosse how it should be played. And But the other part of it that, that we're probably not the best at is all the administrative stuff. And, you know, I think the guys that have figured it out are ones that can kind of, whether it's outsourced or just be good at that, that side of it. And then, you know, the, the business camps, their, their tournaments, they grow. And then, you know, you're making – you know, enough to live off of. And, um, you know, the MLL is, is sort of like a, a paid hobby in a sense, um, you know, as I've heard some guys put it. But at the same time, like, we all take it very, very seriously. Um, you know, there's no, we wouldn't be, you know, uh, last long you yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, we wouldn't be hiring trainers and putting the time and, and stuff that we do if, if uh, we didn't care about it. But, you know, I, I think that's one part of it is just kind of um, be, being willing to be organized and figure out ways to get the administrative side of it done because, you know, we all want to coach. But, there's, you know, as you know, there's so much that goes into running a club or an event that isn't coaching, and, and um, that part of it's challenging. But um, That's hard. You know, like, so, yeah, the, the coaching is easy, but making sure mom knows where to get the kid, make sure the kid <laughs> got a field to play on and, and all the yeah. jerseys, that stuff is the organized part that, that I think a lot of guys get held up on. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, growth, more kids playing. And, and that's the challenge. I mean, I find that the level of lacrosse that I spend probably 75% of my time coaching is, like, how to throw and catch. And, you know, for you and me that have, like, this so much experience in playing, like, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, like, my favorite age to coach are, are the high school guys because they, they have a, a skill set where you can kind of, you don't have to worry about teaching my catching they already kind of got that. You can really show them some things to do. Um, but at the same time, like in the summer, if I try to put on a, you know, a high school instructional event, first thing is like, are there any college coaches going to be there? It's like, well, no, I'm going to teach you how to become a better player. And I think I have some things I can teach you, but there's not a lot of interest for that I found. And, and that's kind of a shame, honestly. I mean, it's like, man, I'm learning now as a 28, almost 29 year old. I've learned, you know, in my own training more about, you know, how to hold my stick and how to do certain things when I'm shooting or dodging, you know, in the past three or four years. And, and you know, you try and convince a 15 or 16 year old to come to an instructional camp and it's kind of like, well, I already know how to do everything. It's like, dude, yeah, that's the, interesting. Yeah, the midfielder yeah, yeah. who's played in the MLL is going to have a much better idea. I mean, you, like I said, you learn as you play and as you do things. And the guys who play in the MLL, like, you have a much better idea how to get your hands free and how to get your shot off than any coach out that, that you'll ever hear of because you're doing it against the best players in the world every weekend where 
what you learned when you were six or seven, that, that stuff doesn't really work when you're going against the Brody Merrills, the Lee Zinks, the Tucker Zirkins of the world, the Mike Levins of the world, because they're yeah. going to be ready for that one. Yeah, totally. So, and I, I mean, one thing I, I'm sure you've felt this way too is, is as a, you know, I played four years of the Outlaws, like my, the style of my play has developed so much. I mean, I remember my first year of the Outlaws, I think I scored one left handed goal. And then, you know, and I think I had six or seven assists. And then I look at my stats last year and I'm like way more even. I'm like, I don't know, 20, 20 goals and 18 assists. And I'm shooting the ball left hand a lot more. And it's that constant development of your skill set and, and what you're able to do. And I'm, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. It's like we've got to continue to always develop and find new ways to be better because if you don't, people figure out how to stop that. Something I've realized is like every offseason, like I pick something like, all right, I need to be better at this and I'll just commit to it. And like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have a new skill when I show up, you know, in 2016 for the MLL season is, is basically how I look at it. And like I said, if, if you don't, if you don't evolve, you're going to be out because like right. I said, guys are going to learn how to play. You guys are going to learn how to beat you if you, if you don't continue to evolve and improve. So yep. you've, you've gotten to, you've won championships. You, you've been an MLL pro and, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. You know, what is the next thing? What is Jeremy Sievert doing five, 10 years from now? This is a great question. I, I uh, when I, when I saw this at the bottom of the list, I, was, I had to think for a minute and I thought about it the past couple days. I mean, I, I, uh, I've learned as, as you can probably tell in my experience, in my story, um, as much as I'd like to, you know, have control sort of of what I'm doing as much as I feel like I might be able to a lot of times these these events occur and it kind of changes your the direction that you're headed and uh you know the, the thing the thing that I'm sure of is that I, I love the sport of lacrosse and, and I I feel like I, I can't ever not be around it so um in, in some sort of capacity I, you know I'll be coaching lacrosse or, or uh, you know maybe playing still I mean who knows and uh you know uh you know, hopefully, hopefully teaching the game. I mean, that's like we just kind of talked about. I mean, I, that age of the high school age kids, like I have so much fun teaching them, you know, how to the ins and outs of the games and things I've learned and, and just be able to share those things and then like see them kind of light bulb go off. And they're like, oh, I get that. And, and see them become a better player. That, that's kind of my favorite thing. And I don't know, I'd love to kind of develop that into something where it's like, you know, kids are coming to learn how to become a better lacrosse player and not so much worried about, hey, who am I going to be seen by? It's like, no, we're going to learn some skills um, and things like that. That's, um, you know, hopefully something that, that I'd like to develop and um, get the ball rolling on. And, um, but, you know, uh, like I said, we'll kind of see what happens. I've uh, had, had quite an interesting journey so far. I've done a lot of things that I never really, as like a middle school, high schooler, I, I never really said, hey, I want to, you know, play lacrosse in Maryland. I want to go to England. I want to, you know, live in California. I want to live in Denver. And I've done all that stuff. And it's just kind of happened. I've been patient, waited for good opportunities. And, and, and when they come, you know, you just kind of, you know, trust that they're going to work out. And you have good people around you to support you. And, and that's kind of how it's gone for me. So, you know, that's how I continue to kind of live. And, um, you know, just trust that the next thing coming will, will be there and uh, it'll work out for me. So, you know, it's been a great, great journey so far. And I'm, I'm you know, excited to continue it. Well, it's been a lot of fun to, to hear about it. Like you said, it's been one of the more interesting paths and, and it's had a lot of twists that, that are, were awesome for, for us to hear about, for me to learn. I've followed it. Obviously, we've, we've been playing it. We've been at this thing for a bit together, so it's been, sure. been pretty fun to follow. But thanks a lot, Jerry, for your time. Again, I always appreciate appreciate your insight on all the things in lacrosse and, again, telling us your stories. So uh, can't wait to see you in a few weeks. Yeah, man. Sounds good. This was a lot of fun. I uh, appreciate you doing this. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see each other on the field pretty soon here. All right. Have a good one, Jerry. All right, man. Take care. There it is. Jeremy Sievers, one of the best midfielders in the world right now. It was really cool to hear his experience growing up playing two sports at McDonough. Then his recruiting process where, you know, he was going to one event, primarily playing with his high school team as opposed to a club team, which, we're, which we hear so often today. And then what it was like playing at Butler University for a year, then having that program shut down. And, and if you're in the lacrosse world today, you don't even hear about Butler and some of the players that went through there. But that jump from Butler to Maryland and going on to have a great career at Maryland and then what he's doing today to become one of the best midfielders. He's a guy that works as hard as anybody in our sport to continue to, to be at an all-pro level, to, to sustain that MLL all-pro level. So if you're a young guy, a great person to listen to, if you get the opportunity to go out and learn from Jeremy Sievert, it's definitely a guy you wanna we want to learn from. Get to one of his camps, one of his shooting clinics to learn and hear what he has to say. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear your thoughts, your feedback. Who do you want to hear us talk to on the one-on-one podcast? You can tweet at me, Ryan Flanagan 24 or at Lacrosse All-Stars.